0: Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at BrickLane Brewing. We are grateful for BrickLane's support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also the daily episodes. Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the daily episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers. We'd love to get that to 25,000. So if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe. And then you'll never miss a video. In Cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are. But thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the final word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the final word. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself and
1: there's some stories I can tell you yeah. This fail, is the final word cricket podcast. The Ashes Daily, coming to you from the MCG, the Melbourne Cricket Ground, where it is a lunchtime on day three and the test is over. Adam Collins will tell you all about the brief morning session in the space of 30 seconds or less. Uh, We should be watching
2: cricket behind us. Instead, uh, we're talking about it because Australia took six for 37 in 80 minutes today to finish the test. They won by an innings and 14 runs. England all out for 68. Scott Boland, six for seven in four overs to be player of the match and Johnny Muller
1: medalist. Extraordinary. Day three at the MCG. Extraordinary. Uh, The last time... I remember seeing a test over this early was Australia in Gaul in 2016 when they (laughs) got absolutely flogged and I think Mitchell Stark took nine wickets in the match, but they got poleaxed. This was a poleaxing. This was embarrassing. I, I know we've tried to look for bright sides for England. We've tried to have that breadth of perspective but there are no bright sides here. This was a surrender. This was a humiliation. 68 all out. I mean, there were 67 all out in Headingley and we know how that turned out in 2019, but 68 all out in the match. Australia, it only struck me about an hour after play had finished. Australia made 267 and they won by an innings. How do you win by an innings?
2: Yeah, it's the lowest first-inning score to win you a Test match by an innings for 75 years. Jesus. And, I mean, it's a 19th-century scorecard, yeah. really, or an early 20th-century mm. at best, the way that you just don't see teams bowled out in, you know, 27.4 overs too often in Test cricket. Such was the, the shock and awe tactics last night. And then this morning for the first... Let's call it twenty minutes, maybe even half an hour. You're seeing Joe Root driving nicely down the ground. Ben Stokes trying to score and thus trying to just erode what was left of the deficit. But as soon as Stark goes, I think he went, he changed direction to around the wicket to Stokes. Mm-hmm. Or well, might have been over the wicket. He was, around. He was around
1: the wicket to Root and then he stayed over the wicket to Stokes That's and it. got that one That's to That's what it was. Low. And he got
2: the one to keep his line, hits middle stump. And from there, I, I saw Joe Root walk down the pitch and do a bit of gardening. And I was thinking, a penny for his thoughts. He's probably thinking, oh, it's Bearstone, then it's Butler, and it's the tail. We already had a night watchman last night. It's just overwhelming for Root and mm. for England, and, you know, there, there are so many different statistical pointers as to how brutal this was. Let, let me run through a few of them for you. Please. England have now had, well, England had, in a completed year now, 2021 is over as far as test cricket is concerned for them, 82 scores between 0 and 10 from their top seven. That's the most ever. They had 54 ducks, which is the joint ever, and um, they had 13 scores of 200 or fewer, or uh, lower than 200 completed innings, 13 times Bouled in fifth. Bowled out, out yeah, for Yeah, so that's what I mean, yeah, not, yeah. not, not like that were incomplete. So they'll bowled out for uh, that 13 times in 15 test matches, the second worst ever. I mean, we can talk about England not having their fast bowlers here and thus not being able to implement mm-hmm. Plan A. I've said that a number of times, but Park that to one side because James Anderson bowled splendidly yesterday and it made no difference because they bowled out for 185 and 68. On a track that was, yes, challenging, uh, there was 11 mils of grass on it and it was still seeming on day three, but not as challenging as those scorecards
1: reflect it. There's something broader going on. And and a a track which in being challenging should say to you as a batting side, if we can put something together, we can win this test match. Uh, It should be an inspiration rather than an impediment. To, to look yeah. at that surface and think that there's a there's a route to victory here. And that's what I was looking at before the day began. Okay, Stokes and Root out there. Root's never made a, a hundred in Australia. We've all talked about that. He needs a hundred and nine to go to the the top of the runs in a calendar year, all the rest of it. And I thought, well maybe he does it. Maybe maybe that's the thing. Maybe genius tells, but you know it was it almost felt like as soon as the first wicket went it was just going to slide and uh, i mean scott boland's spell let's come to this because this is this is an extraordinary achievement at one point he had 6 wickets for 5 runs after taking two last night <laughs> He runs through another four this morning. He ends up with six for seven. That's his completed analysis in the innings. No matter what happens from here, he may not play in Sydney if Stark is fit to go around again and and Hazelwood comes back. I suspect they'll probably rest Stark in Sydney and keep Boland. I think that's what is likely to happen but it's not impossible that he misses out he may never play a test again but he will always have six for seven at the mcg an extraordinary analysis from a bowler who just did the basics and did what he normally does and did it well
2: yeah they're, they're, they're junior figures aren't they six for seven from four overs is what you see in the under 12. It's not what you expect to see uh, in a test match and you're right. I mean, I think he will play test cricket again because this has earned him the right to another opportunity. But yeah, yep. it could have gone the other way. if he, You know, bowled nicely in the first innings, did nothing wrong. He, he might not have necessarily done too much in the second dig and it could have been akin to what happened to Michael Niesel last week.
1: But yep. he, he... Useful. Will, he, thanks for coming. Yeah, useful. You
2: know. Played your role. You're one of six seamers used in a, not a rotation um, policy, but um, in a group that's yep. that, that's showing no fidelity to bags of wickets. Jai Richardson didn't play here after taking five for 42 in the second innings at Adelaide. I'm, I expect like Richardson will play again in the series. But my point is is that it could have been one and out. Mm. Now it won't be. But, yeah, that, that broader the spirit of the day. I mean, the MCG had 41,000 people in for 80 minutes of cricket and they will never forget it. They won't regret it. None of them will say, oh, gee, only 80 minutes of cricket. They'll mm-hmm. all be able to say they were there the day that Scott Boland took six for seven in four overs.
1: Absolutely. And the I think what was really important in that spell was how he picked up the wicket of Joe Roots. So you could diminish some of the wickets. You could say last night, you know, Hermid is spooked. Then he gets the night watchman. Then he gets Bairstow with a a sort of dicey LBW call that ends up being umpire's call on both impact and clipping the off stump as as Johnny Bairstow sort of played across it and it hit him almost outside the line. One one way you would have thought you'd normally be spared, except I think the umpire was a bit confused by the bat coming across. It made it look like it had hit him more directly in front than it had. But the piece of bowling that he uses to get Root, where he bowls that little bit straighter, he pitches it up a bit more, but he still gets that same seam movement to deck away, draws Root into the drive. Root's been driving straight really nicely. Goes for that shot because that ball's there for it, except there's the seam movement. It takes the edge. I mean... It's just a perfect bit of seam bowling.
2: Yeah, I mean, you see those spells sometimes when a bowler looks like they're a chance of taking a wicket every ball and in all three overs, three overs, the bowl and bowl today, all 18 deliveries that he sent down today, he looked a chance of taking a wicket. You focused on the root dismissal, I'll do so, the best I one. He was picked for the MCG because they, they sense that he just understands the length of the bowl here. Since Matt Page took over as curator, his numbers are extraordinary. We've referenced those already because he continues to hit the top of off stump and the state dismissal yeah unlucky I agree if you double umpire's call you're stiff and Mm -hmm. the fact that he was beaten on the outside edge back pad it didn't look out to me initially and umpire's call got him the the wicket but if you think about it your job as a fast bowler is to hit the top of off stump Mm -hmm. and that's where that ball was going the very top of off stump that's because he's just taught himself how to bowl a perfect length at this ground and again we, we we referenced it last night but do so again now. Credit to the selectors for having the foresight to pick a guy who has shown a a capacity to be a match winner at this particular venue. There there was a contrast. Andy Zaltzman I was talking to before before play from Test Match as The the contrast is when Ben Duckett got picked to play for England back in 2016, Mm. he was playing second division county cricket on effectively green seamers in the days when there was no toss I'm pretty sure and and it was heavily tilted in favour of seam bowlers who were bowling about 115 kilometres an hour. Then he was asked to open the batting on to be in Bangladesh against two spinners. And then the same <laughs> me- yeah. So there's, there's that model of yeah. blooding a guy into test cricket sure. or, or there's the Bowen model, which is you you lay it out for them in their best possible chance of success. And, and Bowen mm-hmm. and, and took it with both hands. And, and we'll talk about this a bit more in the Hall of Fame, I suppose. But
1: it, it was special for a number of reasons. Yeah, I, I will go through that um, in just a moment on the show. But we need to reflect on the fact that the Ashes are done. They're decided hmm. in, what, 12 days? 11 uh, days and 80 um, minutes. Yeah.
2: And a lot was made of this in yeah.
1: O2O3 when Australia
2: did the job in 10 days. It was the quickest retention ever. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure if this is the second quickest. It probably isn't. There was probably one resolved in 11 yeah. days. But nevertheless, 11 days and 80 minutes, it's... It's, it's a,
1: disingenuous to call this 12 days yeah, if you don't I, get to the end of the first session. Well, that's right. And the
2: fact that Brisbane finished in, in a yeah. you know, in a session on, on the fourth day as well, it reinforces just what a mismatch this is. That's, it's a great measure to assess what a mismatch this has been across three test matches so far. Even. At Adelaide when it got to the final stanza it was with Australia winning by 275 runs after sort of brave resistance for a couple of sessions but as we pointed out last night England are yet to win entirely a day on the tour
1: yep so it comes back to this broader picture stuff that I know we've talked about before you mentioned 115 kilometer per hour seamers in April that's the kind of preparation that's what happens in county cricket we on the, the TMS interviews we asked both Root and Silverwood does your system, can it produce players who are good enough to handle this? And they both, you know, they didn't want to be seen to be sledging their current players, but they both said that's something that we'll need to look at after this. You know, this this isn't something we can answer now, but they certainly weren't denying that was the case. They were... The broader structural problem is... And I know we can slam England and say they were hopeless and say they were... Weak and whatever, and people will. And Joe Root was talking about needing to get courage back, you know, pride back in the badge and all the rest of it. I'm going to put it this way: you can be as proud and as passionate as you want. You can be bursting with Justin Langer pride about going out there for your country. You can be weeping a solitary tear at the national anthem. It can mean everything to you. And if you're Zach Crawley who hasn't played cricket in months, how are you supposed to go out there and succeed? Exactly. If you're Johnny Bairstow who hasn't played cricket in months how are you supposed to do it It, if your players who've come in you know Dan Lawrence might come in for the next test match how the hell is he supposed to score runs if you haven't been given the grounding if you don't play a quality of cricket at home that is good enough to prepare you what chance have you got
2: there are myriad things here to, to pull at First of all, the England system is contested space, and I acknowledge that. I acknowledge there'll be people watching here who, who, who want to punch the screen when we when we talk about this, but for a long time there, there's been discussion around the 18 counties and whether that's too diluted with talent at the top. That, that'll that invariably be a conversation again. But on the other hand, I I, I understand that, that people do have frustration about when county cricket's played, pushed to, the, as they say, the margins of the summer, a lot mm. of it in April and Barely May, a summer. lot of it in September, not so much in the middle of the summer. I also understand the financial imperative of having short-form cricket, to help fund the games through that part of the season as well. There's no perfect way of resolving that. But where I where I see there being gaps is that well one the preparation on this tour. It used to be a five test match tour would go hand in hand with six tour games. You'd play every state. And that's not going back to the 70s when they'd play, you know, New South Wales country and, you know, yeah. whoever else was floating about. Sure. This is only as recently as 2002, 2003 I reckon they played all, all six state teams. That doesn't happen anymore. Mm. Now I know we're in a, in covid conditions in this particular
1: series and that was harder to engineer, but and running off the back of a T20 World Cup, I'm and it's all—it's all, it's all yeah, about scheduling. how condensed. The, the schedule is because yep. how are you supposed to have the time if you if you do that the tour takes four months. Or it, it,
2: well, it it, does. well, it takes longer, sure, but but it's necessary in order to rest back some of this competitive balance. It's going yep. to be five nil. It's going to be three five nils in the space of five Ashes series in Australia with a yep. four nil throw in that would have been five nil if Melbourne wasn't a shit heap yeah. four years ago. Probably in balance of probabilities, is that Absolutely. had there been a timeless match, Australia probably would have won that as well. So with ten eleven being this stark outlier, yep. and I get that there was so much attention. I mean, you know the Edge documentary documents beautifully how Andy Flower brought that team together. They got Australia at a great time when they were on the decline, England at the peak of their powers and, and all the rest of it. So again, it's not about one solution, it's about acknowledging that England were destined to do poorly here and that's not good enough. And that's not good enough from a scheduling perspective, the international schedule the way it is, what they've done here in Australia. I come back to the idea they had to quarantine at all. They didn't need the quarantine in Queensland. That was a decision to make sure the first test was at the Gabba. Had they quarantined in any other well, not in any other, in New South Wales or Victoria. Had they arrived
1: in any other state? They could
2: have played a couple of proper warm-up games and had freedom of movement and all the rest of it, not needing to be uh, in a hotel for 14 days. These things might have made a marginal difference, but yes, the systemic questions, and by the way, this isn't saying, oh, it's the 100's fault. You see a bit of this. It's the 100's fault. It's the, no, 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 no. You know, what happened today at the MCG, how can you blame the 100 when the 100 started this year? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's irrational thinking. Yeah,
1: the 100's three weeks of cricket, that hasn't made, made yeah. or broken the difference no. either way, but but you cannot win a test series if you don't have any batting in 2010 11 they had bell cook trot battle harden Peterson, you know, they had Generational greats
2: and battle-hardened types who have been around for a while and they don't have that here I mean, that stat that's been doing the rounds about since 2000 and I want to say 14 the highest average for a player who's debuted for England is Rory Burns with an average of 31.5. And again, blunt measures and all the rest, but it, it tells a story that's unavoidable now for English cricket that if they ever want to be successful in Australia again, things need to change and I don't think, by the way, it's just an England thing playing away from home, you know, you pop Australia in Asian conditions, they will be there nine times this year, especially when they're in India. Why don't they do well there? Well, mm. that's because we, we don't see enough, I suppose, reciprocity when it comes to a tours. And I think there's something yeah. to be looked at there about getting more English teams at a junior level, or let's call the England Lions. Why don't they come here every second year mm. and, and play against every state, for example? I think there's, there are areas we can improve on that
1: middle tier between domestic cricket and the top flight. Right. You know, more yeah, more ways to, to gain that that exposure. Which is so, what India by the way, so australia they they've ripped through this, they didn't need to be good with the bat. I mean they some of that batting frailty for for Australia was exposed. They were bowled out for two sixty seven yep. you know as was a competitive ish total on this surface um, and they ended up absolutely strolling it in much more easily than they should have, but their bowling was so good in this test, their bowling's been so good throughout the series. I want to put a a, a laser pointer on Mitchell Stark because he he was questioned, before the series even, there were questions about, is he still good enough to be an automatic pick? Should he be in there? Should someone like Jai Richardson be in there ahead of him? Has he had his time? All of the rest of it. He's been the constant while the other big two bowlers have missed. He had to lead the attack in Adelaide. He did that really well. He's been effective. Like, he's had bad overs, but he's been effective in almost every spell at some point. He's got key wickets at key times consistently throughout the series. I think this is... For me, this is his best series for a long time that I can remember. I think that the Australian public are at peace with what Mitchell Stark is at last. But he's been better, he's been much more consistent here than he has in some series. Okay, sure, yeah, that's
2: true. And, and, you know, he has had bad test matches and has had series where he's fallen off quite considerably. Uh, India at Brisbane earlier this year stands out as one of those. But I think that people understand more and more now that a guy who relies on such an athletic approach and, you know, uh, left arm really giving it his all, trying to take wickets with every delivery. He, he's not like Pat Cummins who lands it in the proverbial shoebox. Stark will never be that guy. He'll never be like Josh Hazelwood. He does a different thing and they all complement each other quite well. And with Stark, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about what happened today, but back on day one, he bowled 12 overs in the middle and final sessions and picked up a couple of wickets. After only bowling three before lunch, Cummins bowled 10 before lunch. Stark was held back, got up ahead of steam and bowled as well as his bowled mm. uh, at different points uh, through that day. And then today when, just at the moment when Root and Stokes looked like, OK, they might be they might be kind of finding their way here, mm-hmm. it's Stark who makes the intervention. Yeah. It was Stark last night with 2-2, two and two, so I agree with you. And I'm glad that some Stark- of that... I root
1: in the first inning. Exactly. Like he's, he's had interventions at timely points throughout yeah, the series. And, and he
2: would have been player of the match um, at Adelaide in a, a, at a different time. A, yeah. And just in terms of sort of underrated or un- unheralded performances in this match, a note for Marcus Harris as well. Uh, who,
1: who outscored England. England, outscored England in the second innings were outscored by Marcus Harris. Yeah, he, made, the, he made, the least convincing player in the Australian eleven. the one who's had the toughest series to date, outscored England yeah, on his own.
2: And what a nuggety innings it was, cliche as that might be to say. I thought the way that he committed himself to the task yesterday against Anderson especially was commendable and getting to the other end yeah it relies on a a little bit of luck as it always will when getting to 76 at test level but he's been out of luck and and that's the that's the roller coaster of test cricket managing the emotions and Mm. as um as Pat Cummins said on, the, on our interview on commentary after the game, it'll be Marcus Harris who will lead the celebrations tonight and, mm. and they, they, they are invested in him becoming the sort of player they hope he can be at test level. And this might be... He didn't make 100, but it might be a turning point for him. It
1: might be. Uh, the final word, Hall of Fame. It's brought to you by Zolio. zolio.com <laughs> <O-L-E. laughs> uh, It's a magic box that turns your smartphone into a satellite phone so you can text or email from anywhere on the planet to anywhere on the planet. You can win one. For free it's worth a thousand dollars plus uh go in the, the the comments section the text bit below this episode click the link fill in your details bang you're in the competition <laughs> the final word hall of fame where we pick the most final word moment of the day and i i know we've talked about scott boland on the previous two days but i wrote about him last night even i couldn't have predicted that it would go this right this drastically right on this day now the Johnny Muller medal got minted a few years ago for the, the best player on ground in the Boxing Day Test. Johnny Muller's real name is Unariman. He was an Aboriginal player from the Western District in Western Victoria in the 1860s and 70s. And, and he's the inspiration. He was such a wonderful cricketer. He was the inspiration for this medal. He played at the MCG in the 1800s. And for Australia, where Aboriginal and Indigenous participation in cricket has been such a desert over the entire journey two men and two women in test cricket over 144 years for scott boland to come in to be the second man to be on his debut and to put in that performance and he's from the western district as well for him to take home that medal names for an Araman. and for it to be hung around his neck. I mean, it is, it is incredibly moving that that happened. Uh, you couldn't have scripted that any better. It, it's an extraordinary thing to happen at the MCG.
2: Yeah, moving's the right word. I was deeply moved by it, and I was so glad it went that way. I suppose it couldn't go any other way after the spell this morning, but you know, reconciliation is the great unfinished business of our country. I'm not the first person to say that, but it's palpably true. Martin Flanagan wrote of the 1993 Grand Final that the that the entire day here at the Melbourne Cricket Ground was, was one of Australia's great, albeit unrecognised, reconciliation ceremonies. And in my initial thinking today when Scott Boland was being recognised was that this sits right alongside that, as it did when Arnie Joy read out his name and the entire Southern stand just... I mean, it was ferocious, that that roar, um, the way he was recognised throughout the week. Yeah, he's a Victorian but there was more to it I think and it was an impactful thing that happened today. It was something that will live long in the sporting consciousness and I think more broadly than that as well. What a tremendous thing to happen. And, and a nod to Cricket Australia as well on this. They've they've put in the hard yards when it comes to doing their bit in recent years on including more Indigenous players in the system where at all possible. We, we've had interviews on the show before, including with Dan Christian about this very topic, the team they took to England but, but Boland was part of in, in 2018. Even just in terms of the language, the fact that they no longer use Australia Day um, for January 26. Mm. They have consistently in the last generation or so acknowledge that not enough has been done Uh, the reconciliation action plan they've had two versions of that and I know that's not linked to what Boland did between the 22 yards that matter most today
1: but it complements it beautifully yeah it's it's a it's a moment of significance that we'll look back on and I think it will become more apparent how significant it was in years to come well it's a, a beautiful afternoon in Melbourne it's an open afternoon an empty afternoon no cricket No more work left to do. Uh, In the middle of the third day, what should be the the second session of the Boxing Day Test Match, Uh, what an extraordinary thing that's happened. If you're listening in from the UK and feeling disconsolate in the middle of the night where it's dark and it's cold and uh, there's not much cheer to be had from following the cricket, our thoughts go out to you. If you're feeling good in Australia and uh, happy and festive, then we're with you as well. All we can do is go off and enjoy this afternoon. It would be irresponsible not to, Adam, (laughs) for the sake of everybody else.
2: We have many shows coming up during uh, the break between now and Sydney, weekly shows, a history show which is called Storytime where we talked about Johnny Muller in the past and um, if you want a reference point to that, get in touch with us on social media we can refer you there. Patreon.com forward slash the final word is where you can support what we do financially as well. Uh, And I think that's just about it.
1: I think that's it. It's the Ashes Daily. Uh, Thanks to Dave Collins who's been doing all the editing. We will see you with the Ashes Daily uh, from Sydney if not before. Final word, Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins. Take care.
0: ta Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at FinalWordCricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. FinalWordCricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks, once again, to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at BrickLaneBrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.